Brother Jeff, just so you know, I do respond to affirmation. So, so there you go. So, so if you hear something you like or you don't like, just do something, will you please? We were, uh, we were at the dining table in our kitchen and it was the first time that our new daughter-in-law was at our house as our daughter-in-law and we were eating and she put something on her plate and, and uh, she said, I, I want you to eat this. And, and she said, well, okay. And my wife said, good girl. And uh, my daughter-in-law looked with her eyes shocked and she said, well, I like being affirmed. <laughs> Woo, got out of that one. Good girl, good boy, yeah. Nice. Affirmation goes a long way with all of us, doesn't it? It sure does. And, uh, you know, that's why as children growing up and in relationships, it's always good to affirm the good things, isn't it? And we've got to be careful about the negative words because our words have a lot of power. Our words, it says the life and death is in your tongue. And we need to understand it's a powerful, powerful voice. So I wrote you some very, how many of you even read the e-blast that I send you? At least, okay, affirm me a little bit. How many of you say, okay, you'll start reading them, all right? Will you make me feel a little better? Because I, I do spend time on those because that's how I set the trend of what the Lord's given. Well, this particular one that I wrote you really goes back about, uh, oh man, over maybe 40 years. And... Uh, Part of these lyrics I wrote in a jazz club in Memphis, backing up Dr. John on piano. And, um, and in it, I don't know why, it just came out in some kind of jazz blues type thing, but obviously I adapted it for this. And so I wrote, I said, so I packed myself, me, myself, and I, into a timeless suitcase. And then a force named Faith that took hold of the bundle of the person of me, myself, and I. We were boomeranged into the future in the twinkling of an eye, and it was there I met my destiny. He and me, and me and him, now all knew, me, myself, and I. And so it does have a, a little riff to it. I was trying to, uh, just didn't have much time this morning to work it out, but maybe we'll put it to something and go with it. So, the message title that I sent out was to boomerang there and back, and it's a continuation of take a stroll on the revelatory side. All of this somewhat coming out of a long transcript, a book that I wrote called Unlocking the Mysteries of God in You. And the scripture that I'm highlighting comes out of Isaiah 55:11. If we could put that up a moment, please. In fact, let's start with Isaiah 55, 8, and read through, if we will, please. And this is piggybacking last week, isn't it? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are more than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. 
so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There's an effect that's been manifest and evidence to us, and we can look at something that's here on earth because His Word says to us that the invisible things in heaven are manifest through visible things on earth. And one of those is a very unique thing called a boomerang. Now they say that this began, that somehow it might have been invented or at least discovered by the Aborigines in Australia. We don't know that for sure because the Aborigines laid claim to it. Personally, I think it was Italian Jews in Syria, but that's okay. <laughs> but if you look at this, uh, my wife and I picked this up doing uh, revivals and crusades in Australia. We picked up a couple of them. They're very uniquely structured and formed. Some believe that this was the first object that was discovered or invented, if you will, uh, by man to be able to be heavier than air yet fly through it. And uh, it is a wing, isn't it? And if we look at our most uh, technological aircrafts right now, they have similar wings, don't they? And so sometimes the most simple things turn out being the most complicated and amazing things. But the interesting thing uh, about a boomerang and is that you have to get the skill on how to throw it to come back, right? I challenged a few of you and I said, do you know how to throw a boomerang? And you all choked on me. And I said, could you throw it and have it come back and, and not hit someone in the head while you're doing it? <laughs> Listen to these throwing instructions. Now, this is religious. Listen to this. Hold the boomerang flat side to palm with the end about the middle of the palm, face directly into the wind, turn 45 degrees to the right of the wind, raise the boomerang above your right shoulder and tilt it 20 degrees off vertical, then throw the boomerang at an angle 30 degrees above horizontal, release with a spinning motion as the boomerang leaves the hand. Did you get that? All right, let me try it. Catch it, Doc. Wow. Now, I know no aborigine wrote that in Australia. The person that wrote that probably giggled the whole time, didn't they? But the thing about a boomerang, if you learn how to do it, supposedly, I've never tried it, but we have done it with Frisbees, haven't we? How many of you can get a Frisbee to come back to you? Yeah, I've been able to do that. I don't know about this, and maybe we'll try it. But the thing about a boomerang that, that apparently you can master to throw is that it will glide in the air if you get the 20 to 30 and the 45 degrees and all that stuff. And it'll come back to you from where it went. Now I was, you know, my mind somehow travels and I was thinking about the first human being that discovered that. It was probably by accident. You know, they threw it out typically to, to get a bird or to knock a nest down or do something up high, right? And that thing came back and amazed them, might have smacked them, and probably said, wow, look at this, and then honed the skill of the boomerang. 
Well, there's a whole bunch of scriptures about boomerang. And most of those scriptures have to do with returning evil upon evil and the masters of evil and those who practice evil upon their own heads and upon themselves. A dear friend of the ministry, and you know, a dear brother of mine, in fact, right up until the Christmas decoration removed him, and he and I baptizing in the Jordan River together, uh, he, he has prayed the boomerang prayers for a couple years now, and he has a whole prayer line. That's Mark Gonzalez. Hundreds of people that join him, and they pray the boomerang prayers back. And the boomerang prayers are that those who are casting evil on the earth and coming against God's kingdom and God's people and the righteousness and goodness of God, that it would boomerang back upon them, quoting scriptures. Now, I'm not going to beleaguer you with all those scriptures. There's a bunch of them. But basically, they go like this, you know, let their own evil return upon their own head. May they fall within their own trap that they have set. May the wickedness that they have set loose come back and overcome them and drown them in their own sins and wickedness. It's that kind of stuff. But there also are boomerangs that we can grasp and understand more. If we go back to the scripture, Isaiah, I believe it's 55, 11, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. It means it will come back to the Lord. And he says, how? But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper, oh, in the thing for which I sent it. That's a powerful scripture. Basically, that, that opens our eyes to the understanding, in fact, that, that God's Word is immutable. God's Word is infallible. You can rely on the Word of the Lord. Who shall believe the report of the Lord? And in that instance, we have many different ways of, of hearing and receiving the Word of the Lord. Now think back upon the very beginning of Scripture and Adam and Eve, they had, they had nothing like a written Bible like we do to rely upon. It was the Word of the Lord. And they lived by that Word of the Lord. And then we have the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch, believed to have been written by Moses, and those didn't exist until he wrote them. And so there was nothing to fall back upon. And they were writing the code of the laws. And then, and then came all of the other books in the law and the prophets. And the prophets would write their letters as the Lord would tell them. And then others would recall the things that they did. And so we had this compilation of the word of the Lord. But then came the word. And, and let's just look at the book of John and start right in the first verse a moment. You see, as I've suggested to you before, as we know, we have the four Gospels, and when we try to do a synoptic correlation of the four, the one that excludes oftentimes is John, because John is seeing things with revelation. He was a revelator. And so he was grabbing facts, but he wasn't Matthew, he wasn't Mark, he wasn't Luke. 
he was grabbing things differently. So if we go to the book of John, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. What kind of Word? Not the written Word. The spoken Word. The Word of the living God. The declared Word of God Almighty that Isaiah clarified for us never returns void. And notice he gave it in the person of the Lord. The first person of God. My Word shall not return void. It will accomplish its purpose and it will prosper to those whom it is sent. So in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He goes on to explain that mystery and as we go forward, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Keep going with me. All things were made through Him and with Him nothing was made that was made. Go on. But let's stop there a minute. All things were made through Him. And there was nothing made that was without Him. Some have taught that wrong, and they've said that everything was created by Him, but in this instance, we understand that John in his revelation understands that this was a Godhead creation. All things were made through Him. And we understand then we get a little bit of a glimpse of revelation about how God Almighty and God the Son, working with the Spirit, create and how they minister. It's the Father through the Son. And it's ministered by the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in a moment. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Go on. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Next verse. There was a man sent from God, So now, John transitions between what is extremely revelatory to what becomes somewhat factual, but he never loses that. And of course, we begin to hear about John the Baptist. We should take great joy in the fact that the word of the Lord boomerangs. First of all, he sends it, and we know his word is pure and absolute, sovereign, that it's always with mercy and grace, and that his word and everything about him emanates out of love. Even judgment comes out of love. Correction comes out of love, doesn't it? And so, in this instance, this is our comfort. This is our awareness. This is our knowledge. But it's also a revelation and a teaching point and a caution about Word. Because as we're going to continue to develop this this morning, we're going to understand that you and I, as new creation beings in Him, that we have that authority and we have that gift and, and, and the opportunity to speak His Word. And when we do, it doesn't return void. Or with this same tongue, as it says in Proverbs, we can bless and curse. The curses don't return void. There comes the caution. Many times in prayer, especially deliverance and when we're working with people that have been bound up for a while, we'll discover as we get to the root of it that there was some actions in life mostly things that were wounding and hurtful, and they could have been one or a series of them, or it could have been a relationship that 
was prolonged. And we understand that those negative words said out to babies and children can be very harmful. And it can set them on a path that has to be broken by only the good Lord Almighty and the strong will of the person and mercy and faith. At the same time, we can be positive and encouraging and speak things into being that aren't just like they are in the heavenly places. So we know now that the way that we should be speaking to anybody in a good point is with edification, even if it's correction. It's not to hurt and wound, it's to help align and it's with love and it's, by the way, at the appropriate time, correct? It's the same with the word of the Lord. His word is released in the heavenly places which are timeless, intended to manifest at a point in time in a person or place in time, but then it returns, you see, and it has purpose, and the intention is to prosper that person that his word is sent into, or that place that his word is sent into. My wife this morning was sending stuff off to uh, our dear friends in Israel and reminding them about the covenant of the Lord and the word of the Lord, not like they need that instruction from us, but that's called encouragement. In the moment when their children are giving their lives in Gaza and when they're still shaking and when the whole world's coming against them for eradicating an enemy that is sworn to kill them and destroy Israel and kill every Jew. And by the way, uh, the edict that just came out of the mouth of the leader of Hamas who's sitting in a penthouse in Qatar, uh, having hot tubs and eating, eating himself uh, some, some, some banquets while all hell has been released. Uh, he decided on Al Jazeera to send something out last week that said, when we're done with the Jews, we'll start with the Christians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And guess what? He means it. He means it. This isn't idle talk. This isn't just to get elected to something. This, this is the enemy. This is the spirit of the Antichrist released against people, both Jew and and Christian because why? Because the word of the Lord has sent out promises to the Jew and to the new creation believer and they're the same promises. Except the one has the land and the other ones have all of the promises of God. And if that's you and if that's me, then you're an enemy. You're an enemy of the evil world and you're an enemy to the actors of the evil world. Words have a lot of meaning. As we look at this process, we can see some things that maybe begin to open our eyes in a different way. I'd like to go to uh, John 2, chapter 2, John chapter 2, and we may as well start in verse 1, I was going to start in 2, but 1's fine, let's, we have our time, let's, uh, let's read it. On the third day there was a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Stop. I have to help you get some things aligned, because 
if you take that out of context and stick it with Mark or Matthew or John, it seems to be a contradiction. Because prior to that, John's talking about the fact that Jesus was identified by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God, which then resulted in the baptism, and we know from the other Gospels, the Spirit of God descending upon him, and the other three concur that he was sent right out into the desert to be tempted of the devil. John seems to be indicating that on the second day after that happened, after he was baptized, that he assembled his disciples, began to assemble them, and then on the third day, they all went to a wedding. Just doesn't make sense, does it? But we have to understand the context of it. Because John wasn't so interested in detailing the historical facts of the chronology of what Jesus was doing. He was looking at things through a timeless mindset. So for the day of the Lord, after all of this was done, and Jesus had successfully stood up against the promises of all of the evil kingdom, then he returned. And to John, that was a day. He got baptized, he went to the desert, and he qualified, if you will, for his messianic mission. The second day, which probably didn't happen in one day, he began to assemble his disciples. So he began to what? He began to form his church. The first example was it needed to be baptized, anointed, empowered in the Holy Spirit, and then be sent of God, right? The second was is for us and everybody else, we have to overcome the evil in order to be uh, useful unto what we're sent to do. The third one was he began to assemble his church. And the third day was all of a sudden the wedding in Galilee. And it says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. It also tells us, uh, you know, his hood was there with him. The disciples were there. The way I, I perceive this is, if you think about it, Jesus had been on pause for 30-some, 30, 30 years. He set aside his glory to become man. And as he was growing and maturing in the things here on earth in the flesh, he was receiving more and more revelation of who he was and what he was supposed to do, and was on hold. And he began to assemble his disciples, which would become the mechanism of establishing the church. So he knew that one of his missions was to establish it so that the gospel of the kingdom would continue on after he was gone, and that it would go to the four corners of the earth. And here's the way I like to think about it. He'd been through a lot, right? Forty days in the desert, hungry, thirsty, the only fellowship you're getting is the devil. And uh, all of a sudden, the angels come at the last moment to help to strengthen him. And then he goes back and he goes right to work. He goes to work selecting disciples, carefully led, calling them out. And now all of a sudden, there's a wedding in Canaan. Obviously, you know, he was invited. And he crashed the wedding with all his disciples. He brought them too. And his mama was there. And 
Think of it this way. Just maybe he was letting his hair down a little bit. You know, Jesus, Jesus is and was human in God. He let his hair down a little bit. It was time to, to just loosen up a little bit, not be so enamored and, and consumed by the, the things that he had to do as the king in the kingdom here on earth and allow himself just to maybe have a good time. I don't know. I, I try to envision Jesus dancing. You know, I think one of you might be able to do it better than me. Maybe we'll get Jeff Green up here and do the Jesus dance. But, or, you know, maybe he was singing and they came up with songs that they liked, clapping, right? Celebrating the marriage, um, just having a good time. And his mama was there. You know, we love to go to a wedding with family, don't we? And in the midst of that, next verse, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. Well, you have to wonder, why did that bother her? Maybe she liked wine. She went for another glass and the glass was empty. Or maybe because Jesus crashed the wedding with all his disciples and they drank more wine. He did crash the wedding with his disciples. Doesn't say they were invited. They weren't part of that family. But she goes to him. And she says they have no wine. Now, I don't think she's really aware of everything he's just been through. She might have said, son, where you been? Well, I was in the desert wrestling with the devil. Oh, all that time? Yeah, 40 days of it. What'd you eat? I didn't eat anything. What do you mean you didn't eat, Jewish mama? What did you drink? I had nothing to drink. What? My poor baby, my poor boy. She probably fed him, gave him some stuff, tampered him a little bit, you know, touched his boo-boos. They go to a wedding. Son, they have no wine. Jesus, what? Next verse. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that concern have to do with me? He's probably saying, and you. Then he goes and he becomes very prophetic. My hour has not yet come. Now let's take our time. He doesn't say mom. He says woman. What office is he operating from? The office of creator. Create them both male and female. He's operating from that creative mind now. She woke him up. She took him out of just hanging and enjoying the wedding and not having any function in it, right? Which is a nice place to be. I like to go to weddings where I'm not the marrying Sam and I just get to chill and eat the food and give him an envelope and bless him and go home. He said, woman, what does that concern have to do with me? Otherwise, hey, I'm not here attending to the wedding. And I'm not here to do anything other than just be with you like you are. And by the way, since you're jarring me out of my humanity at this moment, my hour hasn't come. What does that mean? Well, the hour is used many times in Scripture, but the final hour he was talking about was on his way to the cross. And it was his death and resurrection. And there's other opportunities that we see about the hour, but the hour is always a moment 
that has been released timeless from eternity in the Lord God Almighty, and that returns not void and accomplishes the purpose that God sent it to in the person or place that it was sent to. So Jesus knew the word. He knew when he said, who will go? Father, I'll go. He knew he was the one and the time would come with the maximum hour. And the maximum hour was the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. So I don't think he was telling his mom that's the hour that had not come. He was revealing another hour. Do you recall how for several months we discovered and explored crossing a threshold, correct? And we discovered there are thresholds that are seasonal and thresholds that are eras. That we discovered that there are thresholds that are personal and thresholds that are larger than personal. Well, he was referring to two thresholds. One was his personal threshold, that hour of me doing something to satisfy what people need has not yet come. And the other one was that we could insinuate when that does come, it begins a whole different revelation of Jesus Christ on earth. Only a few had the revelation. John the Baptist had it, but it really didn't stick, did it? And then the disciples that he called forth, they came, but they didn't know if they were coming to a rabbi, to a teacher, to a school, Obviously, the Spirit of God was pulling them forward, and Jesus must have been very convincing because they began to assemble with him, right? I don't think at that time <laughs> they had given up their day jobs yet. I mean, it wasn't about like, hey, I'm just going to go with you and not feed my family, and my wife's not going to be mad at me for not providing. Let's just go, Jesus. They were checking them out, just like you and I would, wouldn't we? Remember, humanity as we read scriptures and learn about Jesus. Still human in the people with him, human beings. And it does us well sometimes when we begin to relate to that and understand it. So, my hour has not yet come. Next verse. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he says to you, do it. What? Now he hears that. And he's probably like this. He's probably thinking in his flesh, I'm going to show her. I ain't doing nothing. Or I'm not going to do what she wants me to do. I, come on, Mama, what you trying to do with me? My hour hasn't come. Now, if you knew when your hour came that three and a half years later, you'd be nailed to a cross, you may not want your hour to come early either. Huh? Who wants to rush into a a burning building when you already know it's collapsing down on your head. But she says, do whatever he says to do to the servants. Here's what I think. I think his mama was the wedding planner. Because <laughs> why would the servants listen to her? And why was she worried about the wine? Why was she taking control at somebody else's wedding? Because someone gave her the authority to do it. Come on! She had authority. She had authority in the moment, and she had authority from the master. And the servant, now you're getting it. And the servants listened to the word. Okay, okay. 
And so, here's what he does. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. They were called furthers. Furthers. I don't know what furthers was, but that's translated to 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now, all the way back into the law and into the washing rites of the priests and then the purification rites of what you're supposed to do, that water was there so you would wash your hands not only once, but in between meals and other things. Eh, don't think it was so hygienic because everybody was washing in the same water, but that's okay. It had the appearance of being purification, of washing in the water. So think of it this way. The water pots had dirty water in them. Huh? It doesn't like pure water that just came out of the river out of a sparkling fountain. This was water. Huh? You had some spit in it. You had some dirt in it. Probably had a fingernail in it. You had some drunk people slobbering in it. And so what's Jesus say to do? Next verse. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Hopefully they got some fresh water and mixed it with the old water. Huh. Fresh water mixed with the old water. Water. Hmm. Baptized into death and raised with the resurrection. The old and the new in one pot. Six of them. Next. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast and they took it. Jesus never put his hands in the water. Servants poured in new water. And now he tells the same ones, draw it out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. <laughs> the master of the feast called the bridegroom. You see, because the bridegroom was paying for everything. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Let's go to the next verse and I'll go back. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and manifested his glory. And then his disciples believed in him. Now Jesus, you know, we always like to see or think or believe, and I'm not saying not to, that he already knew everything that was going to happen, but in some ways that contradicts faith. Did he know his mama was going to do that? Maybe. But why did he chastise her? Why did he say, woman, my hour has not come? Now let's, let's talk a little bit about wine in that day. A lot has been said. Wine, like always, was fermented grapes. 
And they would allow it to ferment until it was really, really strong. But then they did something different. They boiled it. And they boiled it to get the ex extracts and that stuff that you, you know, shouldn't be drinking out of it. And once they boiled it down, then they diluted it. And they diluted it somewhere between three parts water to ten parts water. Depending on how much you wanted to stretch the wine. So probably what they had in the beginning was watered down wine. Maybe ten parts. And probably as they were running out, they kept watering it down. Watering it down to where it had the appearance of wine, but maybe it really wasn't wine anymore. Ah, it's connecting, isn't it, Ralph? Kim, your husband looked at you for an affirmation. You've got to give him one, girl. Yes, husband. And now comes Jesus. No boiling. No byproduct. Just the finest wine from heaven above. And it converts into this wine that this master probably never had before and probably never would again. And his relation to it was the manifestation of what he could see. Only the servants knew what had happened. He wasn't allowed at that point to participate in the miracle of Cana. Let me go back a step. As I was dwelling with this most of the day yesterday, I'm a little crazy, um, I said, Lord, what really happened? I mean, why? Why did Jesus say that to his mama? And then it just happened. And I had two questions. One was about surely he had a communication with you. And secondly, what's this whole thing about the hour? Well, <laughs> what I got back was, son, if your mama asked you to do something, would you want to do it for her? Yeah. Son, Mary is very favored in my sight. Oh. And so, Lord, that's why I did it. And he said, no, there's one more reason. And, and really, I had this conversation in my office with him. He said, because he could. That one knocked me down. Why did he do it? Because he could. Wow. I don't know about you, but man, that gave me a little bit of step in my skip, in my skip, a little bit of jump. I said, oh, because he could. And about the hour, let me just sum this up for you in a simple way. Now, I believe that was destined from the beginning of time, and I believe at one time Jesus might have been a part of it, and I don't know if he was going back and remembering that or not remembering it. That's between him and the Father, Lord, I don't know. But I do know that he was protecting his anointing for the hour. I knew he was being obedient to what his call was. That I know, because those were his words, the hour has not come. But then all of a sudden, Something jumped his hour, and there it came. 
the first recorded miracle of Jesus, the wedding feast. And what is the last thing he tells us that we'll know about him is our wedding feast with him in heaven. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the beginning and the end, without end. And so in a way, he framed it all together, didn't he? In a way, the word that was sent out boomeranged all the way back to the Father. And his hour began. His hour as the Messiah clearly being evidenced and manifest to humankind on the earth and recorded in word that would never go away. He shifted from the son of the wedding planner at the feast to the almighty son of God with a timeless mindset. Another thing that's not recorded is that he didn't pray over the wine. <laughs> he didn't have to pray in the name of Jesus because he is Jesus. But he says that you will do greater things than he did. He said to us, speak to that mountain and believe in faith and that mountain shall be removed and thrown into the sea. Well, the sea has a big meaning with God because that's the same thing he says to about our sons, sins. When he forgives us of our sins, they're thrown into a deep sea. Never again for the stench of who we were to come back into the nostrils of the almighty holy God. And he gives us that same impartation. Speak to that mountain. Do like he did. He didn't even speak out words. He just took authority and action. And what was dirty water mixed with clean water became the best wine probably ever on earth shall be. What does he say we are? We're new wine. We're new wine. We're birthed out of the water. And we're birthed out of that water just like a baby comes out of the womb and, and the water breaks. That's how we come out, the water breaks. And the old and the new gets turned into a new wine. And that new wine is continuously feeding us, never again to be diluted or polluted. So, as we perceive this first miracle, it wasn't random. <laughs> it was, yes, to please mama, so says the Lord. And that's good. Isn't it good to know that the Lord rejoices when people please mama? Come on, mamas. That's a good thing. Isn't it good to know that the Lord wants us to be in a place and a position to give Him glory? And isn't it good to know you should do it because you can do it? My son sat up here and preached to you all something that he reminded me about as I coached him and many 
kids up through high school and beyond. Even at Youngstown State as we took a knee. This was what I always led and said and it says, I'm one, but I'm only one. But I can't do everything, but I can do something. And that I can do, I ought to do. And by the grace of God, I shall do it. And then we go out and win as one. I told you before, I don't like losing. Something sick if people like losing. Right? We glorify losing, right? Oh, you did so good. You stunk. You lost. You get a little trophy. Well, you remember with that trophy, I lost. We're winners. We're victors. We're more than conquerors. We're not those who are to settle for less. We walk with that passion and that grace, but our shoulders need to go square. And we need to stand against the hard winds that blow against us in our families and our lives. The illnesses, the sickness, the suddenlies that come upon us. And we need to remember who we are and what we can do as a new creation that has the ministry of new wine. That's who you are. That's who we are. And so, just like the Word of the Lord, when we are in agreement, when we are in a threefold cord with Him, sometimes it's just you and Him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Sometimes it's you and someone else. Sometimes it's a whole church family. When we declare and send that word out, it has power. Because he says it does. And because he's invested that into you as a child of the living God. And when you send that out, have the faith with a timeless mindset that it's going to find that person that place and it's going to do the purpose of the living God and the living word and if you know his word you win and then it's going to return to you come on having done the purpose it was sent out to do accomplishing it that's powerful that's powerful I want to end with this because I got to protect the pizza from all the people in the back. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 for a moment, please. Now, Paul had been away from Corinthians. This was his second letter, and you know. the wolves began to creep in to the church. And the super apostles showed up. Super apostles always show up boasting about themselves. That's old. It stunk to Paul and it stinks to me. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Now he just got done writing to them about how he was humble and this and this and this and this. And finally he says, listen, I gotta lay this right on the line since we're making comparisons here. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Ah. He starts to separate the pack. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he goes on. 
I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, now I tried to do the chronology of this and it's very hard because there's too much conflict about the dates of this second book to Corinthians. But going back 14 years ago, I sort of end up in Galatians in some places. And it's sort of like a transfer, if you will, from Galatians where he says, oh, you bewitched Galatians. Basically, who fouled you up? He's going back to that same insight, and now he's bringing it to them, and, and they got fouled up again. You see, whenever Paul left, and there wasn't enough roots or people left to continue it on, then the wolves sneak in. And they come in sheep's clothing, and they begin to pound their chest and tell you their accolades and how they received their callings and who they are and why they're so much special than everybody. Oh. Huh? Am I itching some ears to tell you why I get upset with that? Because it's a pattern that shows self over God. Oh, we can lace it with words. Oh, no, I give all the glory to God. No, you just gave all the glory to yourself. Paul leased all that up by saying, I don't want to glory in myself. And he bookends this that I'm going to share with you now by the Lord sending him a thorn in the flesh so that all glory would go to God. And the thorn in the flesh wasn't his eye, it wasn't his leg, it was the buffeting of a dark spirit and angel. I know this, and I'll leave it at that. I know this as a fact. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. He is sharing this publicly for the first time after 14 years. Now compare that to the people who tell you every week they've been to heaven and back. Compare that to the people who tell you every other day they have another vision of God, of this and that, and they're coming into their house. Compare that to the people who boast in order to lift up their Facebook numbers and their television numbers and their book sales about all their visitations with God. Give me that humble country bumpkin that just loves the Lord speaks less about themselves and more about the things of God to the people of God. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or either out of the body, I don't know, God knows. But this man was caught up to the third heaven. Look at the humility. We don't know until verse 7 that he's talking about the first person. God knows. Next. Next verse. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, at that time, according to Greek philosophy in the time of that day, and, and even now, there were three heavens. One was the sky that you see. The next one was the atmosphere around, and the third one was the heavenly place. So, third heaven. You can get into the seven heaven thing if you want to. A little too complicated for me, and I don't think anybody really knows. Okay, so I don't go that place where people begin to create extra heavens and all kind of stuff. All I know is to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And however the Lord wants to segregate his heaven, that's his business. Just so I'm there, I got my mansion, I'm doing good. I'm chilling. How he was caught up into Paris and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. 
Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. He separated himself from that supernatural, amazing moment and realized who he still was. He was a servant of the living God, not God. And he was there to give everything he had with humility, not boasting about himself, but utilizing that experience so that he could convey what God showed him with what he was allowed to, but not convey himself. Yet of myself I won't boast except in my infirmities. <laughs> Go on. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Next verse. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measures. A messenger of Satan is not a limp in your leg. It's not an issue in your body. A messenger of Satan is just that. That's a spirit. That's what he was given. Let's be clear. So many people go off in so many tandems about the wrong stuff. Bottom line, boomerang. God took him up. He, it happened so fast, so suddenly, he wasn't sure whether it was all of him or part of him down here and part of him up there. Have any of you ever had that experience? I shared with you out of an MRI, God took me out of there and I didn't even know I was, I didn't know I was in there, out of there. I didn't know anything. All I know is I was in the presence of the living God and it didn't matter to me. But it boomeranged back. Paul came back and was able to share revelations that he had from that moment and more up to the point God would allow him to. And there was a defining line, there was an hour for that. And in that we get the Pauline revelations. Amazing. And in that we understand that he had a God experience probably unlike anything except Jesus and Elijah and who knows. But he came back and he expressed this. On the same way, God is trusting us with revelations. He's depositing them in us for a time like this. He's depositing them in us that the word will go out and not come back void and to help us to grasp the hour. And we need to understand something. Just like Jesus was on the threshold of that hour, probably for a long time. Do you think his mama just called him out at the wedding after not having experienced him do some awesome supernatural things as a boy? Huh? You think his mama didn't see him maybe, you know, sitting there and he wanted his Bubba and he said, Bubba, come here. Do you think maybe she saw some things with her son before she told him <laughs> to get some wine? I think mama knew. I think mama saw stuff. The Lord sees stuff. He sees you doing stuff. Little things, big things. Don't let that life die in the hospital next to me. Come back. It's a big moment.
lots of little things becoming big things. And all that time, you and I, while we crossed a threshold that was intended for an era, crossing into an era, we're still on a threshold for an hour. We got one foot over it, one foot behind it. We're in the hour. We're waiting for the hour. The hour hasn't come, but the hour came. <laughs> Timeless mindset. And there's actions of faith that jump you into your hour. You don't know when they're coming. You don't know how they're coming. You don't know who they're coming from. It's all the source of the Lord. And the boomerang, to whom much is given, much is required. You sow, you reap. As you give, so shall you receive. That's for everything. To whom I've given much, I require much. And it all comes back. You know the one that gave me comfort when I came to the Lord and gave away everything and lost everything. Everything I gave away. Those who are willing to leave mother, father, son, daughter to be my servant, they will receive a hundredfold in this life and the one to come. I didn't do it because of that. I found that out after I'd done it. <laughs> it was like a safety. Woo! Because <laughs> I was feeling pretty low. I had nothing. When I say nothing, beloved, no bank account, nothing in the kitchen, no vehicle, no water, no electricity, one coat that I gave away, nothing, nothing. When you finally hit that and you realize and you wake up and you're no longer feeling goo-goo in the spirit while you were doing it, it's like, uh-oh, now what do I do? And then I got that word. Hundredfold in this lifetime and more in the eternal life to come. And you know what? I spoke it out loud. I wrote it down. I took it around with me. And I said, though I may look poor, I'm rich. <laughs> I'm rich. And guess what? The Lord is truthful to His Word. He's blessed me, my family, a hundredfold in this lifetime, and I can't wait to see what's coming. But you know what? He instilled in me the desire, the character, the personality, the heart to give. Not just money, give. Give myself. Give, give. When you're tired, give. When the phone call comes and somebody's got a problem and you're just wrung out and you thought there was no more to go, give. When you're making a choice between doing something for yourself and doing something from the Lord and the Lord says, give. When the Lord says, go here, go. When the Lord says, stay, stay. When it becomes a pattern of your life, you walk in blessings. You walk in blessings. <laughs>